The following interview was recorded at the National Youth At Risk Conference in Savannah, Georgia. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sound Bombing. I created this show for people who want to experience a radical, life-changing journey through the sounds of my diverse guests. I hope that each sound you hear on this show will strengthen your faith, encourage your dreams, and challenge you to awaken the greatness within you. Drop the bomb. Drop the bomb. We're going to drop the bomb. We're going to drop the bomb. We're going to drop the bomb. This is a journey into sound. A journey which along the way will bring to you new color, new dimension, new values, and a new experience. What's up? This your man again, Dr. Lamar Darnell Shields at the National Youth At-Risk Conference here in the great Savannah, Georgia. We are at the Hyatt downtown. Uh, what we heard a couple of days ago, several people actually canceled again because of this virus. But the brother that's sitting across me, I'm so glad he didn't cancel. I've been knowing um, this brother for a very, very long time. What's interesting, when I created Sound Bombing, I created Sound Bombing just really to highlight some of the dope people that's sort of in my circle. I got some dope friends that's in my circle, and I'm not going to name them, but this brother, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. He was really, really close to my roommate when I was in college. Then all of a sudden, we developed this great bond, this great relationship. This dude was hosting some of the dopest events when we were in college, Grandma State University. Shout out to all HBCUs. But he always had a special place in my heart because he was he was always stern, he was always honest, but he always loved young people. I heard him talk about young people. He was very, very disciplined. And so he gave me a call some years ago. I was in Vegas working. He said, hey, Shields, man, I heard that you work with young people. Can you come out to my facility? So y'all wanna know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about my man, Jeff Jazz Jones is in the building. Yes, Grambling State University. Grambling Pride. Graham yes, Fam is in the building. Where everybody is somebody. Where everybody is somebody. Jazz, man, welcome to the show, man. Welcome to Sound Bomb. First of all, welcome to Sound Bombing, but also welcome to the National Youth At-Risk Conference. So what do you think of the conference, first of all? The conference is amazing. So what makes it so amazing, man? It's about 1,500 practitioners here from all different facets of life. I'm talking about teachers, principals, administrators, facility uh, facility uh, personnel, staff members, and everybody is here to help our youth. Everybody is here to help the future. And I think that's an amazing thing within itself because it's not, it takes a, it takes a particular type of person to go into that field and to stay in that field and to also want to help the youth because of the fact that it's very challenging and it's always changing and you got to be up on your game and and, and this brother is sitting across from me is clearly up on his game so i want to backtrack a little bit man so we went to school together and jazz was known for like hosting it was always jazz and lou jazz and lou they was like a they was like stuck at the hip you saw one you saw the other jazz would host all these different events uh, we always joke about how Erica Badu used to work for you back right. in the day uh, before she became, you know, Erica. Shout we knew it was Erica, Erica Wright. Badu. Shout out to Erica Badu. 
Um, but you know, when you were at Grambling, I know you were a criminal justice major. Right. And um, when you graduated from Grambling, what was your goal? Like, what did you want to do when you left school? Then we're going to talk about what you're doing. I just wanted to get a job. You just wanted to get a job. Yes, you just wanted to just, you were ready to get up out of and school. And I was hoping, to, and I was hoping to get a job in my field. And uh, just before I left, I made some calls to some friends back home, and it was kind of sparse. But one guy did connect me to the job that I kind of like the department I'm in right now. So I've been there for the last 26 years. And I started out part-time, and uh, what I found out is that I was a natural working with kids, and it, it developed into a passion for me. So I've been there ever since. So you said that you are a natural. Explain to me what that actually means. Because I knew you, I want to go back, I knew you as jazz, a promoter, right. comedy show, I dancing. You know, I knew you in that world. Yes. Talk to me having this natural this connection to young people. Where does that come from and what does that actually mean? Well, how I got there is uh, when I was a young man, I caught a case. It, it cost me some of my life and I had to go to the Army. The, the judge gave me an opportunity to make, make it right by going to the Army. I went to the Army and ended up at Grambling State University and ended up interning over at uh, the Methodist Children's Home. And so Keith Rose was my mentor she kind of showed me the ropes over there, and what I recognized in myself is that I had a lot in common with some of the, the uh, that population that I was dealing with. So what is what are you seeing? What are some things you had in common with them? Uh, well, the fact that I grew up in the projects, the fact that I grew up with a single parent, the fact that I grew up uh, doing some things that I knew I shouldn't have been doing uh, for either street credibility or you know just trying to fit in or whatever. And so some of those things, when I talked to those kids, I found out that, man, they just like me, you know. And so the more I got into it, then the more I appreciated what it was about. And people that, some of my, my, my peers, same thing, you know, they, ha they had the same things in common. And so when I moved back to Vegas, I worked part-time in a detention facility. And the first day that I was put on, I ended up... Uh, having to put, put go hands on with the youth, the biggest youth in the, in the detention facility. <laughs> I became a legend at, at DJJS. Shout out to Las Vegas, Clark County. Uh, and they said, we got to hire this guy. We got to hire this guy. It was kind of like a, a, a tryout. So there was a, there was a, there was a young person right. who, I, I'm assuming no, nobody could handle this young person. Right. Well, and you, he had a name, you know, and he, and, you know, I gave him an instruction and uh, he became combative, and next thing I know, he was on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> like and, and I was asking, I didn't have handcuffs because I wasn't on full time. I was just kind of like getting a tryout. But uh, I asked for cuffs, had gotten the guy on the ground and asked for cuffs. And <laughs> the guys that worked full time, some of the, the veteran employees was like, we got we to gotta hire this guy. So this was the test for you and you, it was a and test you passed. So you, so you said you had a lot of things in common. With the kids, so you grew up in you grew up in uh, Las Vegas, yes. but the kids that you connected with were in Louisiana, right. and and even though you are from two different worlds, Las Vegas, the big city, the small small town, probably in Grambling or Ruston, where you were, right. what was the connection there then? I well, mean, I know you said you got into well, trouble, but I mean, it's from two two different worlds. Well, well, Willie D of the Ghetto Boys said it best. Willie D said, "Your ghetto ain't no harder than mine." Yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, ghetto is the same wherever you go. Yeah. And so that, what we had in common is that we both came from the ghettos and we did some unsavory things, some things that our parents probably didn't want us to do. And that was the connection. 
So is that important for you as a as a facilitator to have like a personal connection to a young people in order to th to get them to move from point A to point B? Well, sometimes it's they don't always see it, but I know where I come from and I know what I'm about and I know what what my testimony is and. God delivered me from that, and the fact of the matter is, he empowered me to be able to put me in a position to help young people by having that testimony. So when you, you work in this facility, so you, you had me come out to speak and I had a great time. Right. They do have a lot of respect for you, and I, and I want to acknowledge that because, again, I get invited to spaces. And like, yeah, I do this, that, the other. When you get there, they talking to the they talking to the person that that, that, that brought me there, like some grimy little right, dude. Right. But I didn't get that from you. Right. So definitely, everything that you say that I knew, I had no expectation. I knew you you were about that. Right. What are some What are some things that you're seeing lately in the juvenile system that are shifting from when you started 27 years ago to now? What are some What are some concerns that you might have, and what are some What are some things that you've been doing to be successful that maybe other people have not been doing? But what I've seen lately is our young men. Because I run a, a, a facility with 100 young men, 100 young men, but I also have a facility uh, that has 12, a 12-bed 12 facility with, with 12 young men there. This is a halfway house in town. Now, my facility in the mountains, Spring Mountain Youth Camp, is more, you see, that young men are becoming more sensitive. What's that mean exactly? Used to be able to just, people, kids would be more respectful, just because you were older, you were the elder. Now what you see if you That say, used to mean something back in the day, right? Used Age to mean, used to mean something. Absolutely. <laughs> so now what you're seeing is, you say, hey, young man, pull your pants up. They smack their lips, you know, and then they, they think it's, they consider it to be disrespectful for you to have even addressed them. But because I'm an old school kind of guy and I got big shoulders, and I don't mind saying it to you. <laughs> yeah, for those that never seen Jazz, he built like uh, Suge Knight over here, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so my daughter drives her crazy because we out in the community all the time, and I'll tell some guys, I say, hey, man, pull your pants up. And they look at me crazy, and I say, I wish you would. Well, where does that come from, though, man? I mean, for it, you it, to, it do, to be able to do that and feel comfortable and not – not, and I'm not saying you're not concerned about what could happen, right. but where does that come from about you and your childhood and how you were brought up? Well, because I grew up in a tough neighborhood, and but my heart is in the right place. And I believe that when your heart is in the right place, God knows. And I'm not, I keep saying God because God is, is who guides me. But I'm not a preacher or deacon. I don't even belong to a church. I just, I'm spiritual. You don't pay your tithes, man? Uh, no. <laughs> you pay them to your daughter your family. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's where your tithes right. are going. yeah. <laughs> you know, I pay my dues. You pay your dues, <laughs> right? Uh, but I just believe that if I believe in something, and I can, and sometimes I pull you to the side and tell you why. You know why you should pull your pants up. And then kids, they want to be redirected, man. They want to be redirected. They sometimes when you say it to them, they might say they might look at you crazy. But then if you say, "Hey, man, let me tell you something, man," and you try to explain it to them, a lot of times I'll say about eighty-five percent of the time they're gonna listen. So, Jazz, can that be? talk to a, a person so you have a team of p people coming into your facility that this is their first second day can what you're doing that's innate that's in your body already can that be transferred to somebody else i don't believe so I, but i believe you can teach you can teach technical things but certain innate certain things that are innate is in you is already built in your dna and uh just the fact that 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 you feel like you have a sense of purpose. And when you have a sense of purpose, then there are no real boundaries. You just know this is what I'm here to do and I'm going to die doing this. I would love to, I ain't going to say love to die, but 
if I would think it would be an honor that if I died doing what I'm supposed to be doing, because it's helping the community, it's teaching young men what they're supposed to be doing, and hoping that it turns out right for them because it's beneficial not just to them but to the, to the community as well, and hoping that their seed can benefit from uh, them making changes. You you mentioned one of my favorite words, purpose. At what point in your life did you know that this was your purpose or or your calling? Because jazz, you have a lot of skills, man. Right. You know a lot of people. Yes, you like the OG of Las Vegas. You come through. Right. You got to come through you before you go anywhere else. When did that purpose hit uh, for you? I think that when I when I was having a company with Sweet Lou, Fan Club Entertainment, and the economy got bad, and I still hadn't quit uh, the county, I, you know, then I realized, because I was not criticized, but people looked at you different to be a peace officer, but also be connected to the hood. They looked at <laughs> So you had one foot in the hood, and then yeah, you're also trying yeah, to change yeah. the mindsets of yeah. young people. And so it was, uh, it took a while for people to kind of respect it. And what happened was people, the, 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 the biggest accolade that you can get is for people to invite you to the neighborhood knowing that you're a peace officer. Woo! It's a, it's a, it's a major thing for grown men who, who have done things that could be considered criminal, but they invite you to the community to have a beer with you in their front yard or something like that, knowing that you're still a probation officer, knowing that you arrest kids, knowing that you have that power. That's, that's the biggest accolade and the respect that you can have because that's that's validating you as a not just a, a, a peace officer but an a agent of change. So what does that do for you personally, that, that feeling? Because I, I see I'm looking at the expression on your face. Like, how does that feel, man, the fact that you do get those invitations? Man, what you trying to do, make me cry? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm known for having my Oprah moment, brother. But, but I can see the passion in your face. No, what, what it is is it validates you because all of these years, these 27 years that you've been putting this work in, and they'll tell you how long you've been doing it. They'll tell you that you paid your dues. They'll tell you. They got your resume. These guys in the neighborhood got your resume. They know how long you've been chasing guys up and down the street. But then I shifted. See, I shifted in the second half of my career. And I said, man, chasing them down ain't getting it. We're going to have to start figuring out some ways to preserve them and teach them what we know. And so what I did is I started embracing their talents and their gifts and started connecting them to my resources. So if you a rapper, and I got a friend that got a studio, <clears throat> and I know that he's legitimate, I'm sitting, I'm getting on the phone with you and I'm calling him with you on the phone, speakerphone, and we're making sure that we can connect you to something. And I, be, I begin to see the fruits of the labor and I started doing it more and more, and then Lou and I would do it a lot. And there's nothing like more powerful than being able to pick up the phone and help somebody. When you pick up the phone and you say, "Hey, man, I, I got I'm sending the guy your way," and they say, "Oh, yeah, send him," and then they then it works out. See, my grandfather told me a long time ago, "Don't mess with no cotton pickers." So I don't mess with nobody that can't <laughs> that can't produce no results. Can't produce it. <laughs> you can't produce no results. Then I ain't gonna call you on, on nothing because I need to. I don't want you to take my credibility away. So speaking of results, man, what are some results that you are getting from the work that you've been doing? And are there any highlight reel of any of the young men that you've come across of like you saw on the outside who just got it together? Man, what has happened lately that I'm really excited about. I talked to my principal, uh, Joshua Katz. We have a school at Spring Mountain Youth Camp and it's Clark County School District, but we're separate. So we got a school district and then you have 
uh, Spring Mountain Youth Camp, Clark County uh, Department of Juvenile Justice Services. And I serve as the camp manager, but I'm not over the school. But, but I do have an MOU that says that basically you defer to me on you know, all the big decisions. And so <clears throat> that being said, I talked to him, cause I'm, a, I'm a dreamer, I'm a, an artist, uh, so to speak, and, and I like to see things done big. And so I, I remembered a young man named Jesus Bernal that I had on my caseload about 15, 20 years ago. He's a grown man now. And the kid had tested uh, and, and got his GED and was going to uh, the community college. I thought that was admirable, working at Taco Bell and living in uh, Santa Fe Independent Living. So I wanted to duplicate that and see the success of some young men. So I got with the principal and asked him, what would it take for us to get the high set, which is a form of the GED, or the GED itself, and bring these kids some success through education? And it took him about maybe about a year to finally get it together, and he got it together. And what we did is we started putting these guys in shirts and ties. We took them, not just, uh, we took them shopping on a real shopping spree. And then uh, ordered their caps and gowns, ordered their, their portfolio that the diploma goes into. And we started celebrating and we brought our whole camp to, to witness the graduation. And the first time we had two, the next time we had eight. And so what has happened is the day after the graduation, there's a line of young men trying to get into the high set program to get their education. And so not everybody will qualify for the high set because some guys are on track to graduate, so you don't qualify. But they can put some additional emphasis on your education where you can start refocusing on your education so when you do leave the youth camp, that you leave with some paperwork, that you do leave with a purpose, that you do leave knowing, okay, I'm already on track, or I'm three credits away from graduating. Let me go ahead and finish because I just saw this guy finishing it. And one of the ways that I was able to obtain success was one of my friends was working, uh, had, had, had gotten a degree at UNLV in criminal justice. Close friend that I grew up with, played football with. And I said, and we, I might have been wrong, <laughs> I said to myself, if he can do it, I can do it. Now, I might have been wrong, but that's what fed my success, is, is that we had some like minds, we come from the same community, and play ball together, so I figured we had the same aptitude, and we might not. <laughs> we might not have the same aptitude, but I believe we did, and that's what got me through, helped me graduate from grandma. And he was the guy that got me the job, got me the interview at DJJS. That I st from that job, I've still been at the same, same, same department and have been able to elevate myself. So speaking of elevation, <laughs> what are some of the misconceptions about young people that that are incarcerated, juveniles that are coming through, not only just coming through your camp, but just through the system. Last night, you and I had an opportunity to talk to a judge here in Georgia. Uh, they got a chance to visit your facility. You, you all are gonna be going to their facility. Uh, talk to me about some of the misconceptions. Well, some of the misconceptions, uh, people think just because, sometimes just because you made it, that they can make it. And we don't all have the same foundation, same resource. So, a lot of times, it's it's they need some extra, uh, some some I call it horsepower. So some so I'm I'm good about. My, I had a friend of mine last night go through my phone uh, because she was like, "Well, what you gonna do when you retire?" I said, 
I still help kids even when I'm not at work. And she went through my phone and saw all the kids that I help that reach out to me on a routine basis and I support them. And I support them because, see, nobody supported me. <clears throat> so it, it's easy for me to support people because I know what's on the other end of it. I know that if you follow these principles, then you could be successful. So pick, pick, pick the misconception that people have is that everybody can do it by themselves. And I believe nobody can do it by themselves. It takes a village, as they always say. And I know that sounds uh, cliche, but it does take a village. I send, send kids that, that have gone to college 50, 60 bucks every time I get paid just so they have a couple dollars in their pocket. So that's one of the misconceptions. But another one is <clears throat> that our kids can't learn, that they're throwaways, and they're not throwaways. Some of these kids have made mistakes that are impactful for a lifetime. And if you don't re hit the reset button, if you don't give them some kind of guidance, then they're going to fail. But you can also make them a success by just giving them a few tools. What we've been able to do at Spring Mountain Youth Campus, we've been able to tap into some of that talent by getting kids uh, educated with CPR and OSHA 10 and preparing them for the workforce. And in doing that, what we're doing is trying to create a pipeline to the labor's union and the pipe fitters unions and all those unions because those are prerequisites just to get into the union. So if you already got that, and plus you may have a GED or a high set, you, you did half of the interview. Well, man, Jazz, it's been a, a blessing to sit down and talk with you. Uh, I have a lot of respect for you. I'm watching you grow as a man, as a father, as a husband. I also know that you're an author. I'm going to so get some headshots, so you, so you got to talk. <laughs> I asked Jazz to send me some freaking headshots. He sent me something from uh, from the nightclub from, like, 1995, man. <laughs> actually, actually, that was the management. <laughs> that, was management. that was probably the holiday party. Oh, was, they had a photographer that there. Was, that, was, that was management course. Man, I'm trying to step your game up, brother. I want people I'm to know how dope you are. Tell them, tell them about your book before we get off. Okay. The title, where they can get it, how they can get in contact with you. Uh, my latest book is Poetic Chronicles. That's a, a book of poetry uh, that highlights the period of 2008 to 2016. And it just talks, just, even though it's poetry, it speaks to that age and all of the things that happened during that term, uh, straight from uh, President Obama all the way to the uh, Haitian girls, uh, Haitian, the Haitian uh, issue when it, when they had the earthquake. So uh, it goes deep into it, but it's also fun. It's some stuff that talks about the neighborhood and the community and talks about your grandmother and how your grandmother used to talk to you. So it's just a fun little book. And, it's, and they can find it on Amazon.com. But Jazz Mataz is the author. Jazz Mataz is my pseudonym. And the children's book? The children's book is Coolie the Ant, and I've written that with a childhood friend of mine, James Allen, shout out to James Allen, uh, one of the guys who actually, who actually I brought through uh, to get, do some work with me with the kids at Juvenile Justice. So he's a multi-talented guy, but we got Coolie the Ant, and that's a series, so I can't even go through all of the books. I think we're on our fourth one right now. Now you know from poet to poet, you gotta leave, you gotta leave me with the piece, man. Go ahead, bless our listeners wow. with the piece. Unconcerned. Though it seems quite unnatural to be unconcerned, there are many who are, who yet have not learned that being unconcerned is a terrible way to go year after month after week after day and not be concerned, such a sad state of mind, not to care for success nor progress with the times. For time, understand, is as precious as jewels, but this great unconcern is a mighty wicked tool. 
Unconcerned should be treated, but we know just not how. Should we burn it or drown it or leave it for now? Since we have not the answer, I guess we'll just yearn for a potion, a remedy to treat unconcerned. That's Jeff, Jazz, Jones, Jazzmatazz. This your man, Dr. Lamar Darnell Shields, Youth at Risk Conference, Georgia Southern, uh, Savannah, Georgia, 2002. Jazz, thank you for blessing us with that, man. Peace. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Love. Thank <laughs> you.